on today being uh, having been my birthday um, at the meal time some uh, some visitors came uh, and uh, somebody wished me uh, many happy returns and then <laughs> And then they said, uh, what, do, what do we actually mean when we say that? So I said, well, <laughs> maybe the, for a Buddhist it's more, uh, uh, you should, uh, as, a, as a birthday greeting, one should uh, wish uh, no more than seven unhappy returns. <laughs> Since the... Um, they uh in according to buddhist philosophy then uh, with the um, uh, the realization of stream entry as as the buddha described it and it's understood that uh, when stream entry has been reached then that means that uh, a being will be reborn no more than seven times and uh, cannot be uh, reborn in any of the the lower realms of existence it can't be Reborn in the animal world, or the the uh, ghost realm, or the, the the hell realms, so that uh, the um, uh, so have made me uh, think about this um, yeah, relationship also to to uh, birth. Since obviously, fifty six years ago on this day, <laughs> little pink thing came squealing into the world, and um, so. Uh, It's helpful to to consider um, in the the efforts that that we're making you know, what is uh, what this is uh, aimed towards, and um, why the Buddha made uh, so much of the the quality of of stream entry, why he uh, it's considered to be so important because. Uh, in the, um, the the development of, of the uh, the practice, the uh, this is something that the the Buddha referred to as the the, the breakthrough or the the turning point. It's like a a point of no return. So it's it's given a lot of a strength, a lot of importance in in this tradition, in in this practice, because it's understood that once that that level of insight, that understanding, has been reached, then you. Uh, once that's been reached, you can't sort of unreach it. It's like having learned to ride a bicycle; you can't unlearn how to ride a bicycle. It's like it's a it's a a a, a learning that can't be unlearned. There's a, a change that happens within the, the way of of seeing and perceiving, uh, in terms of attitude towards life. That uh, once that's been something has been seen in that way, it can't be unseen or Maybe another example is if uh, you uh, look at a um, okay, a, a visual puzzle, like a famous, probably most people have seen a a, a visual puzzle where it's a a, a pattern of uh, of black and white splotches in a in a picture, and then if you look at it for a moment, then you suddenly realize, oh, it's a Dalmatian. It's a black and white dog moving through patches of uh, of uh, sunlight and shadow and suddenly you can see uh, you see the outline of the dog there picked out amongst the the rest of the of the black and white you know, a dalmatian is all uh, black and white 
coloration as a, as a dog. And so once you've seen the Dalmatian, the, the black and white dog there amongst the, the rest of the patterns, then you, you can't unsee it. Every time you see that, that picture, the, that recognition will be there. That you, you know that there's, uh, the dog is there. You can't, uh, you can't undo that. So uh, these are mundane examples, like, uh, uh, like a, a, a visual puzzle or riding a bicycle, and obviously uh, entering the stream and reaching the the breakthrough is is something far more substantial than that. But it's just to to give you a, a sense of that quality of of irreversibility. That once that point has been passed, it, it can't be uh, it can't be lost again. So uh, in a, some some very telling images is a, a, a section of the um, the Sangyuta Nikaya, the, the connected discourses. There's a whole chapter called the Breakthrough, and there's uh, I think 13 suttas there, and they're all quite short, but they all have the same kind of flavor. And the first one, the the, the Buddhist gathered together with a, a group of monks, and he reaches down and he he scratches the earth, and uh, and he says to the the group that's that's gathered there, "What do you think, monks? What is greater, the amount of of dirt under my fingernail, or the or the the great earth itself?" And in the wonderfully understated manner that you have in the Pali Canon, they say, "Oh, well, venerable sir, the <laughs> the amount of earth under your fingernail is very small, and the great earth itself is is very large. <laughs> There's no comparison. There's no way you can you can you can." Uh, Put the two together. One is uh, incompar- incomparably greater, uh, vaster than than the other. And then uh, uh, the Buddha said, "So even so, um, the amount of suffering that a being who hasn't made the the, the breakthrough can be compared to, you know, that they they can expect to experience over subsequent lifetimes is comparable to the great earth." Whereas the suffering that a, a being who has made the breakthrough that they can they can look forward to is is uh, comparable to the 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 earth uh, the dirt under my fingernail. There's no comparison. There's no there's no way to put the two together. One is is uh, is infinitely vaster, greater, and uh, uh, more comprehensive than the other. So, particularly that suit is called the fingernail. <laughs> And then it goes through a, a whole series of images. Each one has a, a, a um, yeah, say it uses a different simile, but it's the same fundamental theme. It says, "What do you think? Because um, uh, what, what is what is greater, uh, the uh, yeah, f- five grains of sand from the Ganges River or the whole Himalayan mountains?" You know? <laughs> Well, very venerable sir, you know, five grains of sand is is very is very uh, small. It's a very uh, tiny amount of of, uh, of matter, but the the, the great Himalayas are, are vast, you know, incomparably large. They are the the uh, the kind of um, the king of mountains. Uh, this vast range. So similarly, the amount of suffering one who has reached a breakthrough can expect to experience is comparable to five grains of sand, whereas that which can be expected by one who has not made the breakthrough is comparable to the the great Himalayan mountain range. And after about the thirteenth of those images, you kind of get the point. <laughs> so he say, "Yeah, this is really worth doing. This is really worth uh, considering. Really worth aiming for." And uh, a number of years ago, when uh, uh, Ajahn Pasano and I were um, 
have been encouraged to put together a book of teachings uh, from the suttas and from the forest ajans on the Buddha's teachings on Nibbana and ultimate reality. Uh, one of the things that uh, he chose to do in, in putting that, that book together, he wanted to do a, a whole large section on stream entry. And because he said how, uh, you know, in uh, in the West in particular, people talk about enlightenment and they uh, in so many Buddhist texts, you, you get people who are talking about uh, the the goal of enlightenment and and uh, say looking towards arahantship as the, the you know this was the, the the pinnacle or the consummation of spiritual life, but when they they consider it or they uh, they look at the detail of it, then they feel oh that's way beyond me. That's far more than I can possibly uh, reach. You know, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just a yeah a a lay person with a with a husband with a with a a, a a job, a, you know, a mortgage to pay, you know, kids to get through college. You know, I, I haven't, I can't possibly uh, have the the time or give the attention to. You know, this is this is way beyond my scope, beyond my capacity. And so that uh, that the um, the feeling of of uh, say the the spiritual life or the the uh, fulfillment of the spiritual life then is sort of placed. We place it beyond our grasp because. Uh, Idealistically, we're attracted to the sort of the supreme, the best, the ultimate, the, you know, the biggest, the mostest, and so the total enlightenment is is really uh, appealing in that way. But then, looking at the actual mechanics of it, then we can feel, whoa. <laughs> then I'll go back to the beach. You know, this is this is too much for me. I can't, I can't, I can't hack it. It's it's way beyond me. This is too uh, too uh, far uh, outside of my scope of possibilities and so what he what he saw was that uh, people uh, are missing the fact that the um, the quality of stream entry is over and over again the uh, in the teachings and in the suttas the stories from the time of the buddha it's pointed out many people who had you know uh, families and jobs and kids and and mortgages to pay or the the, the kind of north indian equivalent of mortgages <laughs> from the time of the buddha that they were uh, 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 reaching stream entry left, you know, left and right. There was a lot of people who managed to uh, accomplish that, to realize that, even in the midst of, of an active and busy family life. Yeah, vast numbers, great numbers. And uh, and uh, he pointed out there's there's some kind of disparity there that we, we, we kind of aspire to the highest and then we're daunted by it. But if we actually set our sights a little bit lower, something that's a bit more practical, still that, that serves us uh, extremely well. You know, if one accepts the, this model of uh, once stream entry has been realized, there's uh, no more than seven lifetimes and, uh, and the impossibility of falling into the, the lower realms, the enlightenment. And over and over again, the Buddha says this. You know, it's not just you know, one sort of one statement here and there, but over and over again, the Buddha says that um, you know, if uh, stream entry has been realized, then you know, enlightenment, you know, total enlightenment is inevitable. If not in this lifetime, in, within seven lifetimes, absolutely guaranteed, total enlightenment is, is going uh, to be realized. So uh, he he felt this was a point that was uh, important to make that uh, if we just set our sights a bit lower and a little bit more practically, then uh, we can see that well, uh, we might not be able to to uh, realistically think about arahantship in this life, but we could definitely aim for for stream entry. And if that's realized, then you know you're basically you're 
you're home free, as they say over the other side of the pond. You know, you are uh, you are guaranteed to to realize full and complete enlightenment. That level of insight is established uh, in a, uh, to an irreversible degree. Like you you've seen through the puzzle. You've seen that. Um, you know, the body is not self, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self, uh, personality is not self. Uh, that um, that has been seen and known and recognized and can't be unseen. And there's different ways of reflecting on this idea of uh, no more than seven lifetimes. And so, um, in, in some respects, what it means is that uh, the, uh, someone who's reached stream entry, a, a being who's reached that level of... Uh, of uh, of uh, enlightenment, they are st- they're still subject to to desire, to aversion. They they are still um, got uh, uh, the propensity towards uh, attachments and, and such like. But there's a, a degree of understanding, a degree of mindfulness that's, that's there. So that even as you're getting caught up in in anger or aversion, or you're getting caught up in desire, that uh, that inner uh, wisdom that uh, intuition that says this is going to really hurt <laughs> you know you know where this is going to go don't you and he, yeah yeah i know it's going to go there but ah, just one more <laughs> just uh, just for old time's sake you know but i you know that uh, but he really needs to be punished i just have to let him have it you know, that uh, we uh, we are able to see the quality of attachment, but they can't quite let go. And one of the the, the statements that Ajahn Chah made about the nature of practice, which I find is extremely telling, is that he said that 50 to 70% of practicing Dhamma is knowing that you should let go, but not being able to. You know, this is really stupid. I, this is really stupid. I know where this is going. And if, if I had any wisdom, I'd just drop it right now. And even though I'm saying that to myself, I'm not dropping it, am I? <laughs> and then uh, it's like rather rather like being stuck on a particular road, you know that uh, you you know that you're on the on the motorway and you you know where it's going to go, but you you're, um, you you haven't got any exits, and so you have to follow it along until it you finally get let off, and you can turn around and go back. So I felt in, uh, that this is a, a very uh, significant point. That um, that uh, Ajahn Pasana was making, and I, I was very much in support of that. So a large chunk of of that book re- uh, uh, refers to the teachings on stream entry, and I felt it's uh, very very wise to to consider things in that way because this is a a, a goal and an aim that uh, can be realized, can be um, uh, uh, say reached by um, anybody and everybody, uh, and that. Uh, <clears throat> this is, uh, say, uh, I would suggest. Obviously, you can disagree with me if you like, <laughs> but I would suggest if you if you have enough uh, interest and wisdom to have signed up for a two week retreat, uh, a valuable summer holiday, um, that you see the value in um, practicing meditation. You see the value in living simply. You see the value in the value of uh, aspiring towards peacefulness. Um, just that right there that demonstrates that that is there's a, a sufficient wisdom a sufficient parameter that uh, there's almost certainly all the ingredients there in the mix to be able to to realize stream entry in this lifetime i mean i'm not going to sign you a certificate or anything 
<laughs> but if you if you if you see that you know how many people in this country are choosing to spend two weeks of their summer holidays sitting quietly, not talking to anybody, um, not listening to the radio, you know, not checking the the news, not watching the Olympics or the Paralympics now, that uh, uh, sitting with uh, aching knees, a sore back, you know, a wandering mind. Um, yeah, that's not everyone's idea of a summer holiday. Can't choose what you eat. You know, the, can't you choose when you eat? No supper. Yeah. So that's uh, for many people that'd be a really boring summer holiday. <laughs> It'd be a, a hardship. But the very fact that that you're drawn to that, you think you're you're uh, there's a, an interest in living in this way. As a, 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 a the the value of that, the worth of that is. Uh, is um, something that's important to you. Some of you even traveled thousands of miles to, to come and, and be here, uh, just uh, making all that effort. Uh, if you look at it and you consider that, then uh, you think, well, there's there's obviously uh, a uh, uh, a very clear sense of the uh, significance, importance of spiritual qualities that, that overrides just you know, seeking entertainment or seeking distraction or just... Uh, Looking for ways to to fill up our time with interesting novelty or activity. So, in the 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 classical rendition of things, um, there's different ways that the Buddha talks about about stream entry. He talks about it some in some aspects, just in terms of uh, faith. Uh, one who has unwavering faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, and whose virtue is uh, is well established, and uh, is a, is a, the heart is committed, inclined towards, and committed to, to wholesomeness. Um, there's also what's called the, the structure of the um, the ten fetters. So a fetter is like a handcuffs or or. A, uh, or bonds that that tie us up, that which is say uh, constricting us or, or confining us. So that he talks about the ten fetters, the sangyojana. So these are like the ten uh, obstructions to enlightenment, and they're they're in a, uh, a graduated sequence. And so that the uh, the the first three of those are the ones that are say uh, defining what obstructs stream entry obstructs the the heart from uh, uh, seeing uh, the truth in a, a clear and uh, irreversible way and so the the first one of the the ten fetters is sakaya ditti uh, or sometimes it's translated as personality view or self view if you break the word down um the 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 um the syllable sa means true or real Kaya is the body. Ditti means view. So if you put it all together, it means the view of the real body or the, the view of the real person. So that, uh, hence, uh, personality view or embodiment view, self-view. And so in, in ordinary everyday language, this is, um, say, the belief that I am the body, I am the personality, I am a man, I, uh, I, am, a, I am English, I am uh, this personality. I was born in 1956, 2nd of September. And uh, 
that as a the, the the mind that that believes that as an absolute truth that is that self view this is what i am this is me this is myself these thoughts are mine these feelings are mine this is my memories uh my emotions uh, my opinions uh my experience it's me that's doing the stuff me who's choosing these words me who's hearing them that uh, solid sense of i and me and mine associated with with feeling with memory with sight sound smell taste and touch that that's all the fabric of sakaya ditti so if you on hearing that um uh, you you then think well of course i am my body <laughs> of course i'm my thoughts and my feelings here yeah. they don't belong to anybody else yeah how could they not be then uh, if that is taken as uh, as uh, something that is an, an inarguable truth then um then you need to do some more work <laughs> but uh it's because i think most of us who've been involved in, in buddhist meditation have become in contact with the, the buddhist teachings on emptiness on on uh, not self and uh are familiar with these um say different ways of of looking at the, the body about the personality the, the feeling of self will recognize that even though these are qualities that are sort of by taken in the the common view of things in in everyday activity in in just the, the ordinary uh, conversations of of everyday life um you know we have a name we have an address we have a a, a, a personal history stories that we tell that uh, we we recognize well that's yes that's the, conventionally speaking that's who and what we are but there's also a, a a bigger view there's a there's a perspective where we we can recognize we can intuit that that's not the whole story that uh, yes there's a masculine body yes there are are stories that we 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 remember and tell but when we develop the quality of insight when there is a true seeing then we we uh, look into that feeling of selfhood that feeling of i and me and mine and uh, begin to intuit or and to uh, in time and with uh, with application see directly that this is this is not really who and what we are this uh, this body doesn't really have an owner uh, when we look for the the thing that is the me that is the the doer the owner the experiencer when we look for that that i and that me and that mine that we we can't find it and uh, i like to quote um from i think it's the house at pooh corner and uh those of you who are familiar with winnie the pooh the a a milne's books i think it's a, a little passage in the 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 house at pooh corner where i'm not sure the, the exact incident but uh um winnie the pooh is looking for his uh, looking for his friend piglet and it has this wonderful phrase and the more that pooh and the piglet is is not where winnie the pooh is expecting and so it says uh, in the in the story but no, and the more that pooh looked the more piglet wasn't there <laughs> so that uh, the more that uh, the self is looked for then the, the more that the it's clear that the, the that you can't that you can't find one there isn't one to be found that it's a, it's a um, it's uh, absent it's a, there's a it's more like a a um, um something that we've taken for granted uh, as being present being real being substantial but it's uh, like a kind of optical illusion or a um 
a sleight of hand by a conjurer. It really looks as though there's a, a, a me, a, an I, and a mind, this separate independent entity that has all the appearance of, of being true. But uh, when you, like, when you, you watch how the conjurer did the trick, you realize, oh, <laughs> there, there really wasn't a rabbit in the hat. You know, there, there, it, was, uh, it was all a trick. It was just a, an, an illusion. It was just a, uh, a, 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 say, a, an impression that uh, I was um, misreading or mi misunderstanding. So this very first of the fetters, the ten fetters, is this uh, Sakaya Ditti. And so the practice of uh, insight meditation that uh, uh, many of you are familiar with already, and we'll start uh, uh, looking at more closely and, and working with um, in the next uh, day or so, next few days, it uh, approaches this and deals with this very, very directly, looking at those, those habits of, of, uh, of identification, that in the mind that says, yeah, but I, I am the body, this is my body. <laughs> of course it is. To be able to pick up that, of course, it's mine. Uh, pick that up and uh, unpack it, uh, dismantle it, and take a look and see, well, okay, well, what's, what's, <laughs> what is so obvious? And what is it that we're referring to when we say mine? You know, what is the thing that's doing the owning? What is that? Where is that? What shape is that? The uh, the second of the the ten fetters is uh, sila pata paramasa, which is uh, another wonderful long complex word, and it literally means um, the uh, uh, the the incorrect or the unskillful holding of virtue, um, and so it refers in in the, in the Buddha's time this would um, be mostly referring to. Things like the um, belief that bathing in the river Ganges was going to wash away all your bad karma, or that um, you know, sacrificing animals on the new moon was going to um, you know, bring you special magical powers, or was going to find you the right wife or the right husband, or such like. So, particularly to do with with rites and rituals, um, reciting mantras were going to heal you, or were going to um, give you. And so uh, knowledge of the past or the future and so on, which was in in the Buddha's time was was uh, kind of huge currency and it's still today. But uh, uh, Lumpur Cha would always talk about this far more in, in terms of not just attachment to rites and rituals or like that you have to bow in a certain way or you have to chant the words in a certain way or otherwise the ritual isn't pure or isn't right or it's somehow kind of bad or wrong or evil. But he was—he would always talk about it more in terms of attachment to conventions generally. So not just around religious uh, principles, but around the conventions of society, like you know, which side of the road do you drive on? You know, which is <laughs> which is the correct side of the road, or or um, what uh, social customs are. Like when when he came to to Britain for the first time in 1977, he had a, a grand old time because he. Uh, he saw that the British customs were completely different from the Thai customs. And whereas for a Thai person, um, it would be unthinkable to sit on the floor and point your feet towards, uh, towards a, a monk, or to, uh, to you know, someone who's uh, in robes, a monk or a nun, you know, that that would be extraordinarily insulting, or pointing your feet towards the, the, the shrine, it would be um, you know, un unthinkably gross. 
So uh, for he saw that for you know Westerners who are very devoted and very polite, they would quite happily sort of sit down right in front of him and stretch their feet out and you know point their feet towards him and have not have a clue that it was anything that could be insulting, because their their whole manner was very very respectful and very uh, uh, very grateful for the teachings and very admiring and and cautious and you know, eager to do the right thing. And he said, look at that, they're very polite, they're very careful, the English very restrained. And uh, and look at that, you know, he's pointing his feet right at me, and he's only like about <laughs> three feet away, so, isn't it? And rather than thinking, you know, how dare he, you know, off with his legs or off with his head, you know, he, he, what he, because he was a very reflective and wise person, you know, his mind would move towards, oh, that's really interesting, yeah. <laughs> look what my mind is doing with that. <laughs> but, oh, oh, you know, my mind says, that's wrong, he shouldn't do that, but... In England, this is their custom. Why, why shouldn't they? And uh, at the other end of the scale, um, when they were going through going through London, and uh, he saw people standing in a line at the bus stop, and uh, they saw everyone standing in a in a in a neat line, and uh, so he's asking, um, so what are they doing there? And so that the uh, uh, the the um, monks who were with him, uh, there was a. Um, at least one English monk there, and uh, Ajahn Sumedho and Ajahn Kemadama, first of all. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho is American, Ajahn Kemadama is English. And they explained, well, they're queuing for the bus. They're queuing for the bus. So, what do, what do you mean? He said, well, so when the bus comes, I think it, it was probably Ajahn Kemadama who was English explaining it. When the bus comes, and they've got uh, room for six people on the bus, then the first six people in the queue will get on the bus, and then the rest will wait there. And he said, Really? <laughs> you mean the other? They won't kind of, cr- they won't crowd in and and then sort of pile onto the bus. He said, "Oh no, 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 no." So the bus stops, and then six people get on, but number seven doesn't get on. They just stand there. Uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, wouldn't happen in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, he just was was. Again, it was struck. Ah, interesting. This is the convention of Britain. And uh, he said, well, what would happen if somebody at the back came up the front? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Cue jumping in Britain is like, yeah, is compl- it's like, that's worse than pointing your feet at the Buddha. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who jumps the queue is just a, is a, a, you know, just so, you know, a social outcast. You know, they, they must be completely crazy, you know. Uh, no, no one, no one in this country would be so gross as to jump the queue. So this is uh, the attachment to conventions is uh, say being able to see uh, the things that we we give value to and that how things have a, um, a a quality of importance or meaning given to them. So that if we think no, 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 it's, it is it's wrong. It's an absolute wrong to point your feet at the at the shrine. No, that, 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 that's not just a convention. That's just wrong. <laughs> that's attachment to to rites and rituals or cue jumping. No, 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 no. That's not, that's that's not just impolite. That's just that can't be done. That is bad. But uh, that the mind that can't see. Well, that's just a convention in this country and in other places. It's different. The the mind that can't see that is still attached to, to conventions and. Uh, so that uh, 
to be able to see that uh, you know the body is not self and personality is not self is to be able to see through self view to be able to see the conventions that we live by and that the value systems what we call right and wrong beautiful and ugly um to be able to see oh well, that's just my perspective or that's my conditioning that's to be able to see through uh, the uh, attachment to conventions the heart is recognizing oh that's just what i'm familiar with or that's just what i'm i'm used to uh, going to to live in America for fifteen or twenty years was uh, was very interesting because uh, I, that's where I was um, before coming back to live here at uh, Amravati. Uh, started going there in 1990 and then moved there in 95 and, and lived there from 95 to to 2010. And so being a, uh, I I always felt I was a fairly liberal, open uh, kind of Brit. Then going to live in California in the San Francisco Bay Area, then suddenly I discovered all of my uh, English home county's uptightness. Suddenly I, I realized I was a lot more English than I realized I was <laughs> because of the, the customs and the way that, that people relate in California. That, uh, some people, you know, somebody would come up and say, you know, uh, you know, hi, you know, my name's Steve. And then within five minutes of meeting, they'd be talking about what it's like to grow up, you know, as a, as a gay man in Idaho with alcoholic parents, <laughs> and he, um, and and your name was what you know, <laughs> you know, whereas yeah, within literally within five minutes, somebody is spilling out their entire sort of toxic family history, and the the uh, the, the problems of of being a, a gay male in in the sort of middle middle America high school and with alcoholic you know, parents, and and whereas in Britain, you know, you you could live next door to someone or work in the same office for 20 years and they'd never let on about that kind of thing you know just oh, you just don't talk about those things at least in the part of england that i grew up in so home counties england is a this is a sort of epicenter of the stiff upper lip yeah there's the things you don't talk about and so it was very, it was quite uh, in that same spirit it was quite wonderful how uh, that you're in a completely different environment, and that's that, that's a whole different set of customs, and and then it it holds up a mirror to your own conditioning, and so that uh, that capacity to see, oh, this is my conditioning, or that's their conditioning, they don't realise that that's what they're doing is is to my perception is out of order, or or that uh, you know very strange, or or oh look at that, I you know, um, I'm looking at at um, what they're doing as as um, as something that, that's wrong or, or surprising, or they are very upset. I just did something that's completely upsetting and and uh, and, uh, and out of place to to somebody else. You know, if you you say something, you make some what you feel is some sort of completely innocent remark, and then you can feel this sort of collective intake of breath around you. What did I just say? <laughs> because in that that circle, like in Thailand, if you. Uh, if you say um, you don't know what the customs are, you don't know what the conventions are, then you can do things that are, are really offensive. Like um, uh, in the early days of Chidhar's monastery, back in about 1980 or 81, it was a very um, sort of ramshackle existence. The house was a, was a crumbled down sort of Dickensian mansion, old sort of Victorian house that was filled with dry rot and everything was a bit rough and ready. So all the all the, the the teacups, you know, they didn't really match each other, and they had most you know, they had chips in them or had lost handles and things. And, 
and so we didn't have very many nice things and the carpets were sort of bits of leftover carpet from people's homes and so it was all a bit um all a bit rough and ready and um the uh and but somebody had uh, had given uh, uh Lumpur Sumato this this very nice um blue and white porcelain spittoon and so th this was a uh, uh, like a beautiful dish with this very nice you know blue and white uh, pattern on it and so that was actually the nicest bowl in the whole in the whole house and so that that was what we had the the shrine room was in what's now the the the, the reception room that what's currently the shrine room in the house was just had a huge hole uh, in the floor where the dry rot had eaten away <laughs> all the floorboards and so the, the shrine room where, and where we gathered and the main shrine was in the reception room and so um uh we had filled up this this um, beautiful blue and white porcelain bowl with uh, with sand and then that was used as the incense burner because it was the nicest dish that sort of nicest <laughs> dish that we had and then one day a, a senior um monk from thailand was visiting um what buddha staying at what buddha padipa in london and he made the special trip to come down to see us at chithurst and so we kind of greeted him at the door and brought him in and he kneels down in front of the shrine he's about to bow and, <laughs> and he sees this spittoon on the shrine where which is the incense burner like, like this and he just froze like so, so it would be like if we had a chamber pot, you know, up on the shrine. Like for for our perceptions, would be like, and he just was just absolutely gobsmacked. And uh, we thought, oh, he looks a bit upset about something. I wonder, you know, what what what's wrong? And we were sort of, uh, uh, and um, he very politely said, um, perhaps you'd like to find something else to be a. Different bowl to be an incense burner because to them it's like a spittoon, even though it's a beautiful porcelain one. It's still like a a, you know, a, a vessel that you put you know, rubbish in or you, you that you urinate into. It's like you kind of it would really be like a chamber pot. So it was just having that on the shrine to him was it was just absolutely outrageous, and we had no idea that it was anything offensive. So that uh, that. Um, uh, attachment to conventions, recognizing that oh, yeah, that uh, sometimes the things that we do or the things that we say are, um, uh, are say upsetting to others, and rather than recognizing well that's their problem or <laughs> or, the, or thinking of it as well it's their problem they should get over it, be able to respect the fact aha uh -huh, oh that's interesting that uh, uh, in, in this situation uh, uh, we should be mindful and attentive and and be ready to adapt. To the conventions, the standards that that uh, that others have. So then, the third of these the, the fetters is um, vichikicha. So you you won't be tested on these for the Pali words. Vichikicha means doubt, and so doubt, which is the third fetter, is not doubt of like um, um, what should I have for breakfast or uh, yeah, which shawl shall I wear today in the shrine room. <laughs> Or should I choose a new walking meditation path? It's uh, in particular, it's a doubt about what is uh, what is the path and what is not the path. That's the specific doubt. So it's not just any kind of, of questioning, but uh, getting beyond doubt or seeing through doubt is um, 
to do with that clear recognition of you know what is what is the practice what is the uh, the the path out of suffering and what is not what is the the the, the path to to recognize the dhamma and, and what is not and so that uh, that um, when that uh, that has been seen through when that uh, uh, that is really recognized that this is the this is the way um this is this is the path to follow and there's no no further doubt about that that's that's reckoned uh as being the arrival at, at stream entry when those three uh, and then obviously they don't sort of happen just like one you know sort of all one then all two and then all three but they 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 all uh, affect each other but when those three have all been um say fully recognized and understood and and seen through uh and uh there's no doubt about what is what is the the path and what is not the path then stream entry ha- has been realized and in particular when when the, the that third one about what is the path and what is not the path uh that is most usually characterized as seeing in a, a complete and a fundamental way the nature of impermanence so oftentimes in the suttas very often when you get a the description of someone um uh, re- arriving at stream entry or realizing stream entry then how the insight is described is that uh, that this person has, has seen the, the deathless they've they've uh, broken through they've made the breakthrough and what they recognize is in Pali, Yankinchi Samudaya Dhammang Sabantang Niroda Damanti. Whatever is subject to arising is subject to cessation. So that's the, the in a sense the key insight and that the the uh that uh recognition that everything is impermanent and that uh, to be able to see that all things uh, are you know, if it's a thing, it's impermanent. And to to be able to um to recognize that, to know that, and to be ready to apply that in all circumstances. To, it's, um, that is, in a sense, the root insight, the, 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 the uh, fundamental, uh, uh, say, factor of, uh, of making the breakthrough. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of, <laughs> that, 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 how does that fit together? Well, that that's so easy. I mean, I I I knew that years ago. You know, what goes up must come down. That that's that's nothing special. That's nothing new. How can that be the the sort of the the uh, crucial factor of liberation? Because I I figured that out a long time ago. But it's because we we can uh, understand it as a concept, um, but we're not applying. We're not we're not uh, seeing the implications of that. Because in a sense, when we recognize, oh yeah, whatever is subject to arising is subject to cessation. Whatever begins, ends. Oh yeah, right. But we uh, we are not seeing the implications of that. We're not also recognizing that when that is seen, when that is fully known, oh, this pleasant thing that's beautiful and I think of as mine, this is in a state of change. It will end. <laughs> it is not ownable. Or this miserable difficulty that um, I'm dreading is never going to go away. This is not me. It's not mine. It will change that there's degrees of identification and grasping going on and we're, at that moment we're not seeing that it is intrinsically impermanent we're not seeing that so uh and that when we're trying to keep the the, the pleasant and the beautiful or we're, we're dreading or resenting you know the painful or difficult in that moment 
uh, we're not seeing the the fundamental transient nature of it, the uncertain nature of it, and that when that is um, applied, then the the mind says, "Oh, hang on a minute." I'm thinking that this pain or this problem is is mine and it's going to be here forever. Aha! That aha, that then recognizes. Oh no! This how could this not be impermanent? How could this not be uncertain? How could this not? How could this belong to a, a, a self? Aha! So recognizing that that application of that insight that is the way. That is the path. That is. Uh, when there's no more doubt about that, you know, or that there's no doubt that that's what we always need to do, and if we do that, that will always change. Yeah, every uh, the the way that every situation is experienced. Uh, if uh, when we when that is seen, when that's known, that uh, when uh, the insight into transiency to change is applied, then that will necessarily uh, change the the view. That will change. Our, our heart that will open the, the door to liberation then when there's no more doubt that that's the case then that's uh, the the point at which the 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 breakthrough has been made so this is just one way of, of talking about it and uh, I hope that uh, makes things uh, makes things clear but also uh, it's good to to say hearing these words and not just trying to memorize the things that I've said or or sort of feel like you want to get a piece of paper and write it all down. <laughs> I must get a record I must get a copy of the recording. Far more useful is to 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 just pick up these particular themes and to say, okay, well, why should it be that the insight into change uh, is so crucial? Why is that? How is that? What's my experience of that? How does that work? So we're picking up these things and and uh, exploring them, investigating them for ourselves. It's not, so it's not just the sound that we hear or the ideas that we take in, but we're we're picking it up and exploring it. Or these uh, attachment to conventions. Say, well, okay, that's I can understand that about queuing for the bus. Yeah, I get that. Or the having the spittoon on the shrine. Yeah, I get that. So, so what what conventions do I think? <laughs> what am I used to uh, believing in? What what do I build my hopes and fears around? And uh, where are my attachments? You know that I can see you know, these examples. Okay, I get that. Now, there's probably some things that I'm deeply attached to, so I haven't uh, got any clue that uh, th- that's what's going on. That there are things that I value that I say this is good and this is beautiful and this is wonderful. That are just uh, my conditioning telling me that. Now, what what do I relate to in that way? What what am I attached to in that way? Let's have a look. And so exploring our experience like that. Yeah, another example that Ajahn Chah used to use would be about money. He'd say, yeah, money is just a convention. You know, you, you have a piece of paper and you print on it 10 baht. And so you say it's worth 10 baht. Then you, or you have an extra zero on it and it's worth 100 baht. Or an extra zero on it and it's worth 1,000 baht. They're all just pieces of paper. They're the same size. It's not like you got a special paper for your thousand baht note. <laughs> it's all just it's just pieces of paper. There's nothing special there. You just put an extra zero on it, and a zero is a nothing anyway. But you put lots of zeros on it. It's just, in in America. It's it's exact. Uh, you even don't even get the change of color. Like it's all just green ink on paper. You know, uh, one dollar, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. 
It's all just a little green rectangle, that's all. <laughs> so he'd say, you know, this, these are just human agreements that we have. He said, you know, that uh, we just agree to call this the currency. We, we say this is worth a thousand, this is worth ten, this is worth a hundred. And uh, if uh, if we just change the agreement, then the value goes away. We'd say, okay, we're printing new currency. Okay, the old stuff, you can... <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you can recycle that. That can just go into the compost and you know, throw that away. It's not worth anything any, anymore. Oh, hang on a minute! But last week it was worth a thousand baht. Now it's just I just put it into the, the line the bottom of the birdcage. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was worth a thousand baht. Now it's just a piece of it's a scrap paper. Huh? Where did the value go? And he would also often use the example say, you know, we could just agree to call chicken shit the currency. That uh, you know that the uh, people who had lots of chickens, you know, they'd be really rich, and they collect a big pile of chicken shit, and that would be a, a rich person would have one who had a big pile, and that uh, and everyone would be fighting and arguing about who's got you know how to get a bigger pile of chicken shit, uh, just to but they will be uh, comparing you know who's got the biggest heap, as uh, you know who's got the the person who's got the the most value and uh, is most important. So this is what we do all the time. We 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 create things and give them give them value. So it's helpful to look and see. Well, what things do we value in our lives? If you know, if you're in the academic world, you know, getting published. You know, how many papers have you had published? You know, not that anybody ever reads them, but <laughs> how many how many papers have you had published? Or or how big is your house? Or what what. Uh, uh, what are your children doing? Are your children going to university? Are, they, are your children you know, lawyers and doctors and engineers? Or uh, are your children unemployed and, and em- an embarrassment? You know? you know, even in the monastic life, we can we can have these uh, value systems. You know, how many years have you been a monk? You know, <laughs> how many reigns do you have? Or, or uh, you know, how many retreats uh, have you done? Or um, uh, how? Um, how many ascetic practices do you do? <laughs> These are ways that we can compare each other, uh, compare ourselves with each other. Yeah, there's all sorts of different ways that we create value systems and invest in them and, and judge each other. Uh, and to be able to see, oh look, it's just a, a, an empty system that's, that's ascribed value. And really, there's, there's no thing there. It's just uh, what we call beautiful in one country is ugly in another. <laughs> One of the interesting things in in Thailand when you go there as a Westerner is they have a very different way of talking about the body. So that whereas in the West we might be very sensitive about particular attributes of your body, that uh, in Thailand they're very straightforward and say they they would uh, come up to you and say, "Oh, you're really fat, aren't you? (laughs) Wow, I never saw anybody as fat as you before." And they won't be insulting. They will say, or they, uh, Ajahn Sumedha will say, they can't say, oh, they, wow, your skin's, you know, it's really, it's really white, isn't it? It's really kind of horrible. <laughs> well, ugly, you know, your skin's really ugly, isn't it? And I go, what do you mean? Yeah. And that where, where we here, we would take it as a deeply personal remark, you know. But there, it's just thought, you just say, oh, well, you know, your, your, your skin's really strange. Your nose is really big. Like, wow. What a huge nose you've got! <laughs> what do you mean? But it's not—it's not insulting at all. The, the, uh, 
<coughs> so that the um, the just to see how that conditioning can be strong, how we can say uh, understand that and be free from that. Now, and I always talking about um, stream entry and realization and so forth, and. And one of the, those of you who are familiar with Lumpur Sumato's teachings will also um, be aware that he, he would very, very rarely you know, talk about um, or say use this kind of the, the, the language of aiming for attainment and, uh, and uh, that um, just as we can say get competitive about you know who's got the who's got the biggest house or who's got the most papers published or you know who's got the children with the best accomplishments or uh or you know who's got the nicest uh, meditation cushion <laughs> you know that uh we can also get uh, competitive or get sort of acquisitive about about realization and so very often Lumpur Sumedha would point to uh, the absurdity of trying to you know become a stream enterer or get enlightened and that how our acquisitive or becoming tendencies, the bhavatanha, the desire to become, takes hold of our spiritual efforts. So in talking about all of this, I, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that uh, uh, it's, there's a, a danger in, in say, uh, creating a, a very substantial desire to become. And, and uh, so it's helpful to, and important to... to uh, to consider or to to be able to notice how suddenly you you put a a goal in front of you and like, oh I, I'm not a stream entry yet but I want to become one so what what can I do now to become that in the future and uh, again those of you who are familiar with Lumpur Sumedho's teachings over and over and over again dozens hundreds thousands of times probably he'd say that the one of the root delusions about meditation practice is to think you know I'm an unenlightened person who's got to do something now in order to become enlightened in the future. You know, setting up that as a paradigm and seeing, because he did it so much himself, <laughs> and realizing you know, he was creating a, a false framework. Because that, uh, you know, even though we might, be having, we might feel that's a good intention, or it might be sort of going along with what, say, what I've just been talking about all evening, but uh, what we can unconsciously be doing is be, uh, say, strengthening the sense of self, the strengthening sakaya ditti, self-view, that I am this unenlightened person, and I've got to do something uh, to become enlightened in the future. Do something now. And what he would say is that to let go of that whole structure, to, to let go of uh, conceiving ourselves as a person, but rather being awake now, being enlightened now, being awake to this moment, not thinking you've got to start a stream entry program <laughs> yeah. but uh, more being awake to uh, to this moment to the feelings of the body the perceptions the sounds that you hear the things that we see um, sight sound smell taste touch knowing this is arising and passing away here and now that uh, if uh, if we see that if we recognize that then we are being awake right now there is right now there is the quality of wisdom is being actualized a number of years ago, um, when the, the, I think the last time that Lumpur Sumedho gave a, a retreat in California um, at the Spirit Rock Meditation Center, I was sitting on, on it with him and um, helping out with the event. And, and I noticed that every single Dhamma talk 
Like every morning reflection, every evening talk, every single one was about Sakaya Diti, Sila Paramasa, Vichikicha. You know, every single talk. He didn't talk about anything apart from um, le- about self-view, about attachment to conventions, and about getting beyond doubt. Every single talk for the whole ten days. But he never mentioned stream entry once. <laughs> he never he never talked about the the uh, the idea of uh, of uh, realization or uh, or kind of attainment or getting something. And I, and it was really striking how he was in a sense giving everybody the tools. Okay, this is what you do. <laughs> this is how you work with self view. This is how you work with attachment to conventions. This is how you work with doubt. This is how this is how it works. This is what you do. This is this is how uh, to to. This is what the tools are. This is how they work. This is what you do with them. This is what you don't do with them. And and uh, in a sense, showing everybody exactly what to do, but not creating the kind of um, or not not spelling out the the framework that was liable to cause people to get lost in caught up in the gaining mind or the that self-creating habit of i've got to get something that i haven't got yet so uh, i was really really struck by that that uh, he was really giving a, a you know a full-on teaching and, and really putting everything into it to to help people have the the tools to to arrive at that quality of realization but also um working hard to not um uh let people get stuck in that gain the gaining mind the the achieving mind or the, the comparing mind so um uh, that was a uh, very uh, very striking uh, to me but also i, I felt uh, uh that um it's also helpful just to to uh speak about the the framework that uh not to you know, go against Lumpur Zameda's way of doing things, but just uh, it can also be useful to have a, a the sort of the, the framework that's there in in the suttas and to be conscious of that, and also to be aware that uh, having got that framework, then it's uh, important to be careful not to get caught into that, and so uh, to be bringing that to mind to to if the mind is conceiving, well, I am a person who's not enlightened yet. And I've got to do something now to get enlightened in the future. As soon as you see your mind doing that, just say, whoa, hold it. <laughs> and rather than, than buying into that or, or, or uh, say, uh, reifying, solidifying that, that view, to, to, uh, to take you know, Lumpur Sumato's advice and just to step back from that and say, well, rather than than uh, than seeing things in that way, rather to, to see, well, here is the wisdom mind seeing the way things are here and now. There's the Buddha seeing the Dhamma here and now, rather than you know, me uh, me here and that goal over there. Rather to see, well, right now, uh, we can be enlightened, we can be awake. In this moment, there can be wisdom, there can be wakefulness. And in that, that moment of seeing, then that uh, the, the Dhamma is recognized, the Dhamma is is uh, is known is actualized uh, the uh, the mind is is heavily conditioned in these ways and so we have a nice long period of time uh, ahead of us um another 10 days or so 
to to play with. So we have a, a lot of, of scope um, and uh, time uh, to explore all of this. So um, I think that's enough to give you to chew on for the evening. And uh, so these are, uh, I feel, are important themes. Um, and uh, will be uh, over the next few days, you know, looking at the uh, uh, different dimensions or aspects of this in terms of uh, the development of of wisdom in these different you know, areas of of identification and um, where we get caught up, and uh, hopefully learning how to to use these these tools and understand this framework uh, without turning the the uh, the framework into a, another obstacle. So without uh, say feeding the the habits of self-view or feeding the the, the gaining and, and comparing mind, but uh, rather to be able to to see how it all works, to see what the potentials are, to see what the the obstacles are, and to to uh, uh, say guide our lives towards what is really beneficial and what is truly liberating. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this evening. <laughs>